Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Murder Mile. A true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk, featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about Joe Ganane, a drug addict. It's hard to say any more, as drugs consumed his world. But when this hopeless junkie took a life, the law would ask a very valid question. Who was responsible for the murder? Was it Joe's fault or his drugs? Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 140, The Diminished Responsibility of Joe Ganane. Today, I'm standing on the corner of Greek Street and Romilly Street in Soho, W1. One street southeast of the bombing of the Admiral Duncan pub. One street north of the epileptic bank robber Jack Esman Murphy. And two streets southeast of the collapse of the Pawn King. Coming soon to Murder Mile. At 29 Greek Street sits the Coach and Horses, one of my favourite pubs. With a boozer situated on this site since the 1700s, it's kept many of its traditional aesthetics. Being a four-storey, grade two Victorian corner house, with white walls, an iconic red flash, and the ground floor chock full of original features, like red steel pillars, tobacco stained tiles, heavy wooden doors, and the old Taylor Walker lanterns. Made famous by the play, Geoffrey Bernard is unwell, Norman, one of London's rudest landlords, and it is said, the inspiration for Robert Louis Stevenson to write the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The Coach and Horses is a wonderfully honest old man's boozer, where you can sup a decent pint over a good old sing-song on the piano, all under a portrait 
of the Queen Mum. And yet if you ask nicely, you can be led upstairs to one of the city's best and most secret vegan restaurants. Recently acquired by a pub chain, thankfully they haven't ripped its guts out. But they have stripped out the sticky carpet and they've even fixed the toilets. So when weeing, no longer do you have to stare into a dank abyss of leaky pipes, stale piddle, possibly the plague, and mould so old, it's gone a bit racist. Like most pubs, outside you may see the odd fight, mugging, flasher, and even the occasional murder. One such murder occurred just recently. It made the papers, but very few people paid attention to it. As being a tawdry tale about a junkie who killed a possible dealer over some drugs, nobody cared. In the public's eyes, they were two blights on society who had made their own decisions. One took drugs, one sold drugs, and they both chose to live a life of crime and to make fast money the easy way. But the trial would pose an interesting conundrum. If the attacker was high on drugs at the time of the murder, was he fully responsible for his own actions? Or were the drugs that he took partly to blame? As it was here, just before dawn, on Sunday the 3rd of March 2019, the Joganain stabbed Mohammed Elni to death. But when did his rational decision-making stop and the drugs take over? The legal definition of diminished responsibility is an unbalanced mental state which makes a person less answerable for a crime and grounds for a reduced charge, but it does not classify them as insane. There are three factors to determine a person's diminished responsibility. If they couldn't understand the nature of their conduct, if they couldn't form a rational judgment, and if they couldn't exercise self-control, all of which could be affected by learning difficulties, disability, trauma, disease, drink or drugs. Joe Derek Ganain was born on an unspecified date in February 1985 to a mother whose surname was May and an unidentified father in the South London borough of Lambeth. And that's as far as the press would delve into his past. Described as evil, on paper, this 34-year-old was the epitome of a drug addict. Dark ringed eyes, a broken nose, messy brown hair, and a tired pasty face dotted with spots. His childhood was a dark depressing model of abandonment, isolation, fear, rejection and hopelessness. And although a lethal cocktail of drugs was his one constant to escape from the horrors of his life and to erase the pain of his past, he wasn't uneducated or unintelligent. Seven months after his arrest, whilst incarcerated at HMP Whitemore, Joe's poem, titled An Odour Was All It Took, a brutally honest insight into his life, won Poem of the Month in Inside Time, a prison magazine. 
and it later won the 2020 Pinter Poem Award, a prize for poets in prison. The smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. A time before care, before care, drug despair, oh how I wish I was there. School in the morning, football in the afternoon, painted circles adorned the walls of my room. Two cats and an apple tree in the garden. I struggled to place my memories. My memories have made my emotions harden. Self-reflection, soul inspection, toilet, spoon, injection, adolescent withdrawals, a broad erection. An outpouring of pain, shame, all aboard the thought train. The smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. A time before care, before prison, a colourless prison. Memories out of sync, anachronism, football stickers, foil, pipe, light flickers, Soho-bound city slickers. Dark days, bright nights, a young moth down the Piccadilly lights. A corner huddled, seeking oblivion, memories muddled, a fruitless pursuit trying to clasp a puddle that bubbled. An outpouring of pain, shame, all aboard the thought train. The smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. A time before care, before I made my mother cry, earthbound yet seeking the sky. My passage resides in a cling film package. Emotions, memories, abandoned baggage. Blackheath fireworks displays. Fairies sprinkling dust on school plays. The good old days, before me and innocence parted ways. Waifs, strays, a cup in hand, homelessness pays. An outpouring of pain, shame, all aboard the thought train. The smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. The time before care, before fear, despair, a shed tear. Stealing from those I hold dear, near. My breaking point. Suicide. Life. What's the point? Institutionalized. At home in the joint. At home with a joint. Freedom bound to disappoint. My core's rotten. I should be forgotten. An outpouring of pain. Shame. Last stop for the thought train. By the age of 13, when most boys were playing with their PlayStations, Joe's home life was fractured. He was living in care. He had been abused, and he was addicted to heroin and crack. Living on the streets and surviving on handouts, the only constants in his depressing little existence was drugs and prison. With a criminal history of 16 counts of theft, robbery and violent assault, Joe was in and out of prison throughout parts of his adult life. And although incarceration would provide him with a bed, clean clothes and three square meals a day, it posed a problem for someone so reliant on drugs. Joe was addicted to three drugs. Heroin, crack and spice. 
Heroin enveloped him with feelings of euphoria. With a hit, like being wrapped in a cotton wool cocoon where nothing could harm him. But the pleasure would be short-lived and followed by a toxic mix of short and long-term symptoms like nausea, vomiting, itching, abscesses, insomnia, confusion, cramp, constipation, collapsed veins, organ failure, mental illness, anxiety, depression, sexual dysfunction and irrational thoughts. With the only way to suppress the side effects being to inject more heroin. Like many addicts, Joe also used crack cocaine to counteract the effects of the heroin. It gave him a quick high, hyper alertness, increased strength and energy, but only for 30 minutes. Like heroin, the side effects of crack cocaine were severe, including insomnia, confusion, aggression, anxiety, paranoia and hyperexcitability, which clouded his rational thoughts as well as coke bugs, a vivid hallucination that insects were burrowing into his skin. With the only way to suppress the side effects of crack being to smoke spice. As a psychoactive cabinoid, spice relaxed him. But again, being a short-lived high, it led to sweating, palpitations, vomiting, irritability, extreme violence, suicidal thoughts, an irrational distrust of other people, and auditory and visual hallucinations. So vivid, he couldn't tell reality from fiction. To suppress the side effects of spice, he took heroin. And so the vicious cycle would begin again. On Friday the 1st of March 2019, Whilst a remand in police custody and awaiting trial on the charge of robbery at Highbury Magistrates Court, although he had made up with his mother and he could have gone home to stay with her in Plumstead, he didn't. Although he could have collected his prescription for methadone to assuage his drug addiction, he didn't. And although he should have gone and stayed at his bail hostel, he didn't. As Judge Richard Foster would later state, you made, you made a conscious decision, a bad decision, to go to Soho. Joe Ganane had been a drug addict for more than 20 years, almost two-thirds of his life. As a homeless man, used to being attacked and stabbed by strangers, he often carried a large kitchen knife. As a junkie just out of prison, he was suffering from withdrawal as he headed into Soho in search of a fix. And although many of the bad decisions were entirely his, one was out of his control. As just 36 hours before the murder, Joe was released on conditional bail. On the evening of his release, CCTV cameras would record Joe in and around Old Compton Street in Soho. A vibrant, frenetic place of fun, festooned with a kaleidoscope of clubs, bars and cabarets. But seen by some as a series of squalid streets of sin, Soho also has a very dark side, 
courtesy of drugs and poverty. Whether day or night, it's a regular occurrence to see shambling drunks stumbling towards their next swig, heroin addicts collapsed in a matted heap, constipated crack addicts relieving their rotten guts in a doorway, and sometimes it's impossible to sup a pint without being accosted by the deluded. For the jury at Joe's trial, it was very simple. He had made the decision to go into Soho in search of drugs. He knew the risks, he took the chance, and over the next 36 hours, he binged on heroin, crack and spice. Trapped in an all-too-familiar vicious circle of depleting highs and bigger hits, with his body used to this abuse, he staggered from fix to fix, losing the fight to counteract the side effects. And so a familiar tragedy unfurled. Score, euphoria, dip, stumble, collapse, inject, and repeat. On the wet and windy night of Saturday the 2nd to the morning of Sunday the 3rd of March, cameras witnessed Joe Ganane taking drugs alone and in the company of others, including 37-year-old Mohammed Elney. In court, Mohammed's family described him as a kind, jovial and cheeky son, who was the eldest of four siblings, paved the way for us in our new environment, a protector in a new country and life. As a devoted father to two boys aged seven and nine, he provided as best he could, given that his options were cut short following a traumatic brain injury in an unprovoked assault. It remains unproven whether Mohammed was just a user or a supplier, a fact his family dispute, stating he was not a drug dealer, he had qualified as a plumber. But in court, Joe grew increasingly unhappy, barking, the geezer's making it up as he goes along, sentence me now, I'm sick of it. Joe's erratic, paranoid behavior did him no favors. Even as his own defense, Edward Henry QC tried to put across that Joe was a broken, bewildered, and also deeply troubled individual, unaware of Mr. Elney's vulnerability. But when Joe's poem, An Odor Was All It Took, was read aloud in the court to give context to his drug-taking and his troubled past, Joe stormed out, cursing, I don't need to listen to this bollocks. He spat at a dock officer and shouted, That is what I think of your court. After two decades' exposure to illicit drugs, a lifelong history of abuse, homelessness, hunger, assault, mental illness, and a default emotional setting which was stuck at paranoid, Joe trusted no one. In the early hours of Sunday the 3rd of March 2019, 36 hours into his drug-fueled binge, Joe unsteadily staggered through the dark-lit back streets of Soho. His stumbling feet were as unbalanced as his mind. 
Shortly before dawn, a nasty drizzle engulfed the air. A fine thick mist which soaked everything as a chilly wind made Joe's jacket as wet as it was heavy. Several times, Joe and Mohammed were seen together, meeting many times for minutes and sometimes for seconds. At any time, Joe could have decided that enough was enough, but he didn't. He could have dumped the large kitchen knife that he'd stashed in his jacket, but he didn't. And having run out of money for drugs, he could have left for his hostel, perhaps to pick up his prescription for methadone. But again, he didn't. But then again, who was in control at that point? Joe or his addiction? The short fix of euphoria was long since a distant joy, as a catalogue of symptoms swept through his ravaged body, fighting against each other like a junkie gauntlet to the death. Shivers, cramps, spasms, sweats, exhaustion, insomnia, high fevers, low chills, vomiting, confusion, palpitations and nausea. Spiralling out of control, the grim misery of addiction had taught him that no more drugs was not an option. He couldn't just quit, as withdrawal was worse than any death, a sickness worse than any sickness, as his symptoms would never die, only duplicate, unless he got one more hit of heroin, crack or spice. At about 5.45am, the streets were deathly quiet, except for the howl of amorous cats, the rumble of emptying bins, and the soft shush as street sweepers wipe away any trace of piss and glass, as the night's revelers slept soundly in their beds. But still, the junkies crept. Under the shadow of the Palace Theatre on Romley Street, hunkered in the unlit doorway of the Coach and Horses pub, stood Mohammed Elney. Dodging the drizzle and cold, as again Joe Ganane approached. Neither was a friend nor enemy, as with one needing the other, the two men remained on good terms. There was no falling out, no sore looks, no cruel words, no money owed, and no punches thrown. It was just as it had been for the last 36 hours. Without warning, Joe plunged the 12-inch kitchen knife through the jacket, two thick layers, and inflicted five separate two-inch wide wounds into Mohammed's stomach, hip, and thigh. With no defensive cuts, the stabbing came silent and frenzied. Not out of hatred, but out of sheer desperation. As Mohammed slumped on the rain-soaked floor, focused only on a quick fix, Joe rifled the pockets of the dying man's puffer jacket. His feverish hands staining red as blood gushed from his failing organs and pulled around his greying frame. As Joe fled, he left Mohammed to die in the dirty, sodden gutter. 
by 11.35 a.m. With his new high having worn off and his ill-gotten gains all spent, Joe stabbed a 16-year-old drug dealer called Amit in an alley on University Street, just a few streets north. He stole drugs and money, but this time he didn't flee. When the police arrived, spotted acting suspiciously, he was challenged, he ran, he ditched the bloodstained knife and was swiftly detained. He confessed to both attacks and gave evidence in remorseless detail, crying, How many times have I got to do this? I've stabbed loads of people. They won't die. I don't want to be here anymore. That day, 34-year-old Joe Ganane was charged with two counts of attempted murder, two counts of assaulting an emergency worker, and the possession, in public, of an offensive weapon. But who was responsible for these attacks? Was it Joe or his addiction? The trial of Joe Ganane began at the Old Bailey on the 23rd of September 2019, before Judge Richard Foster. Faced with all four charges, he admitted his guilt to the two lesser offences. He pleaded guilty to GBH with intent on 16-year-old Ahmed, but pleaded not guilty to Mohammed Elney's murder. Instead, he would plead guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. The evidence was self-explanatory, as without a shadow of a doubt, both the prosecution and the defense agreed that Joe had plunged a knife five times into Mohammed. Both sides agreed that Joe was an addict who suffered from a personality disorder. But whereas Dr. Farnham for the defense said that, owing to his addiction, his drug use was involuntary, and at the time of the killing, he was suffering from polysubstance dependence syndrome and cocaine psychosis. Thus, owing to the drugs, his responsibility was diminished. Conversely, Dr. Blackwood for the prosecution disagreed with how severe his disorder was and how dependent Joe was on drugs. Thus his motive for murder, being robbery, was a conscious decision. This was the core of the jury's debate. What was a rational decision by Joe, an irrational decision by his addiction, and where did his decision-making deviate from voluntary to involuntary? If indeed they did. What was rational? Not staying with his mum, not sleeping at his bail hostel, rejecting his methadone, breaching his bail conditions, heading into Soho, seeking out drugs, or meeting up with fellow users? Was the nausea, the mistrust, the paranoia, the anxiety, the sweats, the cramps and the seizures, as well as his skewed perspective and the auditory and visual hallucinations all voluntary, given the fact that he had taken the drugs and that he knew the risks? Was the abuse he suffered as a child the time he spent in a care home, his undiagnosed mental illness, 
and his life as an abandoned boy, struggling and starving on the London streets. Did that diminish his responsibility and mitigate the severity of his crimes? Was the robbery and murder merely a logical step for a hopeless addict with 16 prior offences for theft and assault? Or was his mind simply mangled by a lifelong addiction to drugs? So complex was the case that the trial would take two and a half weeks to complete. With the judge directing the jury, do not reach a conclusion until you have heard all of the evidence, in particular those by the psychiatrists. And yet, so confused would the jury become over exactly what constituted diminished responsibility that it almost derailed the case and led to a mistrial. Having heard Joe's own testimony, his poem, statements by Muhammad's family, and waded through a mountain of medical paperwork, after three and a half hours of deliberation, on the 9th of October 2019, the jury returned with a unanimous verdict. Joe Ganane was found guilty of murder. Nothing less with no lesser charge of manslaughter and not on the grounds of diminished responsibility. He was sentenced to life with a minimum term of 30 years to be spent in prison, meaning he will not be eligible for parole until November 2049. He is currently serving his sentence at HMP Whitemore in Cambridgeshire, where he wrote his award-winning poem, a poignant piece which mourned his past and predicted his future. My core's rotten, I should be forgotten. An outpouring of pain, shame, last stop for the thought train. Diminished responsibility is determined by three key factors. An inability to understand the nature of your conduct, to form a rational judgment and to exercise self-control. But isn't that what drugs do? To erase the horrors of our real life, to free from the trappings of a rational world, and to enter the embrace of a place free from responsibility. Was Joe entirely guilty? You decide. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. As always, if you like listening to this podcast, there is some non-essential stuff after the break, where we sup a tea, maybe have a cake, and dive into some extra stuff about this case. It's not essential listening, and it might not be for you, so feel free to switch off now if you're not a fan of waffle. If you fancy treating yourself to some seriously good stuff, like a hadn't written thank you card from me, a goodie pack of stickers, badges and fridge magnets, and maybe even a posh keyring. Early ad-free episodes of Murder Mile, rarely seen crime scene photos, location videos, a weekly ebook, a secret podcast series called Walk With Me, back issues of Deadly Thoughts, exclusive merch, oh yes, I've got more Reg Christie, Blackout Ripper and Police Constable Arsenal Guinness mugs on the way, as well as a new treat, 
a weekly video series called Cake of the Week. It's the dirtiest kind of porn, where each week I share with you a tasty cakey treat. You can access all of these goodies by subscribing to the Patreon account for Murder Mile via the link in the show notes. And your subscription will help support this handmade podcast. Of course, you can also help by leaving lovely reviews and sharing the show with your friends. And that defeats the haters. Boo to them! Boo! I thank you. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Freaking long. That was a that was a killer that one. Holy moly. Moly moly pudding and pie kissed the girls and made them cry and all that. Oh although I wouldn't make Eva cry. I'd only make Eva cry if I didn't get her cocktails on time and I, I didn't clean her shoes and I hadn't ironed her dresser. I hadn't done all my chores. That's what happens then. Hey everyone, welcome to Extra Mile. We're back, we're here, we're doing this. I'm just going to move my uh, pop shield out of the way and all that. There we go. Just so I can go and uh, pop on uh, uh, my hot water and make a cuppa. You're welcome to join me as well. Difficult time at the moment. I actually need a wee-wee. But uh, I don't think we're at that point in our relationship where I can have a wee-wee whilst uh, I'm doing murder miles. So I'm going to open up windows and doors, get some air in. Not too hot today, it's all right. Oh, dear. Nice, it's a nice cool day. We've got a week of uh, it being relatively cool, which is lovely. So rather than sitting in here and dying and sweating, like in, uh, was it last episode? I can't remember. Well, I think I may have sweated myself to death and it was horrible. Um, now it's really nice, it's really nice. I don't, I don't like the hot weather. Hot weather can go blow. I don't see the point in the hot weather. I like it like this. It's about 20, about 20 odd degrees, maybe a bit less. A little bit cloudy. Uh, I'm, a, I'm making another coffee. Why am I making another coffee? I have no idea. This will be my third. Maybe that's it. I'll be a bit high. Sometimes if you come on a murder mile walk, uh, 
and I seem a bit hyper, it's normally because I arrived a bit late. I went into town, I grabbed a coffee, and it hasn't had time to settle, and I've gone a bit, I've gone a bit gaga. Sometimes that happens at the start where I meet people and I'm a bit too talky. Or sometimes it's just because I live alone and I don't have anyone to talk at, uh, except Eva. And Eva, basically, the all she says to me is, where's my cocktail and we need more sex, Michael. Oh, it's a hard life being Eva's boyfriend slash butler slash lover slash slave. Mostly slave. Uh, what, what's going on in, in, in Mikey world? Um... Uh, I'm trying to be good. I've had, I've had 48 hours without cake, uh, carbs, fats, chockies or bickies. My only real treat is uh, I have some quavers, but they're good because it's like a pack of quavers. It's like it's like uh, it's like 80, 80 calories and you burn those off really fast, which is great. Uh, so I'm just trying to lose a bit, little bit of weight because I'm a little bit. I'm a little. I know they say that quite a few people have put on like a stone or something over uh, lockdown. I think I've put on everyone else's uh, uh, stone. So I've got a bit fat. Let's just check that I was recording. Yes, I am recording. Let's check I've got it on the right setting. Yes. Sometimes I, I realise I'm on the wrong setting. Uh, so that's all good. So I'm on a bit of a diet just so I because I, I, I'm a little bit wibbly wobbly. Although Eva doesn't have a problem with that. She kind of likes she as she says, she doesn't say I'm fat. She says I'm good value. Because uh, she purchased me as her slave, and uh, because I'm, I'm a little bit big. She's like, you know, value for money. So that's that's a nice way to put it. I'm not fat. I'm just value for money. Or as I like to say, I'm not fat. I'm just getting ready to hibernate for winter. Uh, what else is going on in the world? I treat myself to a little ten pound fan, ten fifteen pound fan, uh, which is very nice. One of those. The problem with living on a boat is you can't plug stuff in. This is always a problem that you can't plug stuff in. But I did treat myself to a little, uh, a little fan that I've got. I can't remember if I mentioned this last week. It's very nice. You plug it into your USB. Uh, it really cools down the room really fast. It's only tiny, but it cools down the room fast. It doesn't seem to circulate hot air. It seems to make its own cold air. It's magic. I don't know how it does it. Uh, um, uh, I plug it into my laptop and it doesn't seem to drain the power on the, the on the laptop, which is great. I thought it would be like, ah, yeah, balls to you. I'm going to eat all your power. So it doesn't. So that's, that, that was a bonus. I love that. Um, uh, what else is going on? Uh, oh, thank you to everyone who, who has uh, recently added in some uh, five-star reviews online and even, even better people who've uh, done... Uh, more reviews they've already done a review and they've done another one uh, as you know sometimes i get mad people uh leaving negative reviews and sometimes these mad people leave lots of negative reviews anywhere and i've, I've had one person who's weird has been saying that i'm a racist i don't really understand that. i don't really know what's going on he she seems to be obsessed with the idea that in a couple of episodes i told people to wear a mask during a pandemic very weird and has gone off on a rampage going anti-british classic nut job so uh that loser has left negative reviews everywhere but when i look at their past they leave negative everywhere and it does make you wonder how sad their life must be if all they have is negativity it's like just doing me coffee coming over coming over uh negativities yeah it's like it's like if if i don't like things i i never leave negative reviews because i just think to myself you know at at least someone's trying at least they're trying their best or you know uh if i have some constructive criticism i'll email them directly i never leave it on a forum because i think that's i think some people need to question why they do that like some people go 
uh, enjoying your podcast, but, and it's always a but, and it's like, oh, here it comes. And it's just, why put it on a public forum? Why not just email the person directly and say, I, I, I think you would, your podcast would be better like this. Negative reviews, I never leave negative reviews unless I feel that person absolutely deserves it. You know, if they're a nasty piece of shit, fuck them. Sorry about my bad language, but fuck them. Uh, if, if, if I think they deserve praise, god damn it, yes. I, I always go in and uh, leave positive. And especially if it's a new podcast and they need a bit of help, I'm happy to do that as well. Because uh, reviews, positive reviews are always good. But this person, core dear, I went through her, because luckily iTunes lets you go through what people have written before. Negative, literally one star, one star, one star, one star, one star, literally about everything. You can tell this person is, is uh, not with it. So uh, anyway, bizarre. Um, what else are we doing? Uh, I'm meeting up with some friends. T- today is Wednesday. I'm a day ahead of schedule. Uh, this was actually, uh, the, the blessing was this was an easy episode to write because I kind of, the information was there. I knew what I wanted to say. Uh, and it, it took two days to write, which is a miracle for me because sometimes these episodes take three days. Sometimes they you can take five days to write. I did it in two. And the great thing was I didn't skimp over everything. Uh, I, I felt it was nicely written. Uh, I might edit it down a little bit, but not too much. Um, so that gives me time to go into town uh, on Friday, uh, the last Friday for you. I'm going to go and meet with some good friends at the Coach and Horses pub. What's the chance of that? Uh, looking forward to that. So that's where we haven't met up in a, more than a year now, I would say. So I'm looking forward to meeting those cats. They're always good fun. Going to the Coach and Horses, it was there that we saw Jeffrey Bernard is unwell. Uh, we saw uh, the, before the pub changed hands to Fuller's, we uh, we went to see Jeffrey Bernard is unwell, which is a famous play uh, written by a, a, a columnist and critic called Jeffrey Bernard. Uh, uh, and it's based inside that pub, so it was lovely to watch. And we we saw Robert Bathurst. It's only like space for like fifty people. We saw Robert Bathurst, who is Ed Hauser Black in uh, Toast of London. Uh, he was playing uh, Jeffrey Bernard, and that was brilliant. Uh, that was really good to see. So uh, it was very good. Uh, and uh, last time, I, in fact, I was in that pub. I was with Police Constable Arsenal Guinness, who uh, we are uh, in in my people are in negotiations with his people. Uh, for some dates where we can sit down and we record New Blue, which I'm very excited about. I'm drawing up my questions and it'll just be uh, drawing up some questions about what it's like, the daily life of being a copper, copper on the beat, uh, which I'm looking forward to. Hopefully that'll come out in October. Uh, and also it'll just be a nice chat for me and uh, please come to Arsenal Guinness uh, to sit down and just have a bit of a bit of a chat and a couple of pints, maybe couple of pints so uh quick swig of coffee oh no cake this week so as mentioned i'm on a diet but as mentioned slightly earlier um on patreon now what i've started doing on sundays is a little video called cake of the week and it's a really close-up kind of look at uh the cake of the week and i film it and it's all nicely shot and all that uh, even though it's done on my sofa and it's slightly wonky and the 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 plate has got a little chip on it it's fine we do cake of the week and then it's kind of a nice little video so uh, if you like cake and you like murder please join patreon there's lots of lots of different goodies on there that basically i won't share anyone anywhere else because uh uh it's basically patreon has become a, a very good source of income uh I, 
advertising on the podcast isn't actually that good it's not particularly great whereas patreon has kind of really really has helped out and uh, has paid for a lot of the equipment as well so uh, let's do some quiz questions for you don't forget i will probably balls up some of these questions uh, or edit them out so uh, here we go question number one ladies and gentlemen um what was joe's middle name question one what was joe's middle name question two what borough was Joe born in? So what London borough was Joe born in? Question three. What colour jumper was Joe wearing? Difficult question. Don't forget, if, if, you, get, if you get two or three of these, I'd be very impressed. Uh, question four. What is above the Coach and Horses pub? Amy, you should be able to get that one. That's an easy one. Uh, question five. What street did the second attack take place on? Question six. Uh, how is Norman, the formidable former landlord of the Coach and Horses, described? So I drifted off then. Question seven. Which book was supposedly conceived and partially written in the Coach and Horses? Question eight. What did Mohammed Elney train as? Question nine. What prison did is Joe in? So question nine. What prison is Joe in? And question ten. What theatre does what theatre does the murder scene back onto? So we're on Romilly Street. Uh, what theatre is is that on the back of? Right, let's dive into some extra stuff. Uh, I thought I'd, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to have to re-record it because it's, for, it was hard to kind of uh, get the rhythm of the poem because it's, the kind of pentameter of it is kind of a difficult one for me. So I didn't quite get it right. But what I thought is I'd just read the words of the poem because I did actually take a lot out and I thought it was quite interesting. So here goes. This is, an odour was all it took. Um, the smell of the, the smell of the cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bitter, bittersweet childhood. A time before care, before care, drug despair. Oh, how I wish I was there. Football in the morning, sorry, school in the morning, football in the afternoon, painted circles adorned the walls of my room. Two cats and an apple tree in the garden. I struggled to place my memories. My memories have made my emotions harden. Self-reflection, soul inspection, toilet spoon, injection, adolescent withdrawals, a broad erection. An outpouring of pain, shame, all aboard the thought train. This first paragraph. There's five in total, I believe. Uh, the smell of cut This one was... Yeah, this was in. The smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. A time before care, before prison, a colourless prism. Memories out of sync, anachronism, football stickers, foil pipe light flickers, Soho-bound city slickers, dark days, bright nights... A young moth down to Piccadilly lights. A corner huddled, seeking oblivion, memories muddled. A fruitless pursuit, trying to clasp a puddle that bubbled. An outpouring of pain, shame, all aboard the thought train. The smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. A time before, ha a time before care, before heartache, theft and deception. Borrowed equipment, blood-borne infection. 
A broken back fence, an unlocked door, a trainer consumed by the fox left needing more, wanting more, always more, more. Unable to unable to sedate, unable to sedate a starving hunger, full syringe, compressed plunger. Gone over while under, a meant blunder, and yet still an uncalled number. An outpouring of pain, shame, all aboard the thought train. A smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. A time before care, before addiction, before addiction. Was there a before? Before a need to score, a squat, a, a, a squat, a filthy floor, a runny nose, nausea, back pain. Fe feeding squirrels in Greenwich Park, despise the light but hate the dark, and the demon and the demons it conceals, st starving yet can't stomach the thought of a stomaching meals. An outpouring of pain, shame, all aboard the thought train. The smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. A time before care, before I made my mother cry, earthbound yet seeking the sky. My passage resides in a cling-filmed package. Emotions, memories, abandoned baggage. Blackheath fireworks display. <coughs> Blackheath firework displays. Fairies sprinkling dust on school plays. The good old days. Before me and innocence parted ways. Waifs, strays, a cup in hand. Homelessness pays. An outpouring of pain, shame, all aboard the thought train. The smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. A time before care, before fear, despair, a shed tear. Stealing from those I hold dear, near. My breaking point, suicide, life, what's the point? Institutionalised. A home in the joint, a home with a joint. Freedom and bound to disappoint. My cause rotten, to my cause rotten I should be forgotten. An outpouring of pain, shame, all aboard the thought train. The smell of cut grass stained the air, evoking memories of a bittersweet childhood. A time before care, before lies, vacant eyes. A home open to the skies, flies, orbiting a shooting rage. Stranded on the strand with a strange handout for, with a strange handout for handouts. Spare change. A Christmas crisis. Mattresses made from the latest reports of ISIS. An odour igniting a forgotten history. Diluted memories, addictions, nothing but an enigma packaged in a mystery. An outpouring of pain, shame. Last stop for the thought train. It's a nice poem, that one. It's, it's nice because it, it seems honest. It seems like he's, it, it doesn't seem like he's uh, kind of saying, oh, woe is me. It's kind of, you know, the... It, it, there's kind of a, a an honest resonance to it about you know the life he's kind of living and kind of wishing he could go back to the old days, the old days when it sounds like in his at some point in his childhood he he seemed to have had a a half decent life and it seemed to be nice but you know being becoming a drug addict at the age of thirteen, um, for him it's kind of uh, hard to come back to and hard to come back from. You know, you think about it, Joe's drug addict at 13, he's 34 years old, he was uh, on drugs for 21 years. It's a hell of a long time. 
Uh, I thought I'd read some other interesting details. Uh, when I found Joe's poem, I thought that was quite interesting. I thought that was a nice way to explain his life. Joe used his own words. But while I was in there, I was going through a lot of the um, Inside Time, which is the prison magazine you can get. Uh, and there was some interesting stuff in there as well. So there was an article by uh, a prisoner called L. Gleason, uh, who was talking about the smoking ban. So the smoking ban came in 2007, as mentioned. And he said, uh, the government haven't got a clue. The prison system is failing. One of the reasons for so much reoffending is because there's very little to do here. So most prisoners turn to taking spice to take the day to take the days away. They ban smoking. And now, as a consequence, every prison is flooded with spice. And one of the reasons so many people go under uh, on this drug is because without tobacco to dilute it, uh, it is smoked pure. So what you're saying with that is, you know, in, in the old days, you'd use it as kind of something to something to jazz up your, your tobacco. But now, because they have no tobacco, uh, basically everyone's just smoking it neat and becoming hopelessly addicted to it. So this is a major problem that needs to be uh, resolved. Uh, the investigation, I didn't go into too much in this episode because it was pretty simple. Detective Inspector Justin Harrick from Scotland Yard was overseeing it. Forensics were at the scene pretty fast. Uh, it was sealed off. It was a wet day, so obviously there, were, there weren't many fingerprints. Joe uh, didn't pretty much touch very much. But if you, uh, if you look at the scene on uh, Google Maps... You can go on there and have a look at it. Have a look at just all the cameras that are dotted around. Like, it's only a tiny street. It's a tiny street on Romilly Street that leads down to Cambridge Circus. So it's probably only about 100 feet long. Uh, but uh, there's cameras everywhere because it's a high tourist area. And a lot, of the, a lot of the premises have their own cameras as well. So there's at least 10 that I could see, but there's a lot more dotted around. Um Joe's arrest was pretty simple as well. As mentioned, he'd ran off to that other kind of other mentioned street. He'd stabbed the other 16-year-old, who is only mentioned in kind of one report. Uh, it was mentioned in the... Um, it's not mentioned in any of the press reports, but I actually found it. I was going through the uh, Court of Appeals paperwork, and it was actually mentioned in there, uh, which is why I know a lot, because a lot wasn't written by the press, but the appeal... Court of Appeal actually published a document which, which uh, where a lot of this information comes from. Oh, what else have we got? What else have we got? There was, at the time uh, that Joe was arrested, a 41-year-old woman was uh, arrested with him. Almost nothing is said about her. We know her age, we know she's a woman, and that's it. Um, uh, she was later released... Uh, and that's all we really know. So we don't know what her purpose was, whether she was one of the, one of the uh, other drug users that was there. Um, diving into the trial, as mentioned, the trial began. Oh, boat going past too fast. Not giving a shit, spilling my coffee everywhere. I'll have another swig. Uh, trial began on 23rd of September 2019. It was a two and a half week trial. Uh what have we got uh, as mentioned uh, joe pleaded not guilty to both of the serious charges but he would later plead um guilty to manslaughter on diminished responsibility for um for both oh sorry uh, murder on diminished responsibility for the first charge and uh manslaughter on uh, on diminished for the second uh what was i gonna go with no, so two consultant psychiatrists gave expert evidence to the to the jury um uh as mentioned so dr farnham for the defense uh said that joe was suffering from polysubstance dependent syndrome 
a dissocial personality disorder and cocaine psychosis. Um, but Dr. Blackwood, who was called for the prosecution, diagnosed him, yes, with a personality disorder, but disagreed with Dr. Farnham as to the severity of the, the disorder and to the extent of Joe's dependence on drugs. Uh, now, this is all quite important. So, as mentioned in the episode, the judge said the audience, uh, the audience, sorry, the jury needs to keep an open mind. Uh, do you know, there's going to be a lot of information coming forwards. Don't make up, up your mind at all until you've heard all of the evidence, especially from the psychiatrist, because he was saying this is really important. The, the evidence of the psychiatrist is important. This is what you're going to base all your information on. Obviously, they had to give all the information about did Joe com commit this crime? Yes, he did. Uh, but the whole crux of the case was was it diminished responsibility owing to him taking drugs now i kind of briefly mentioned this uh in the episode i may have edited this out but this became very important and this is why it almost caused a mistrial so uh, during the course of the trial there were a number of notes that were sent to the judge uh from one of the jurors uh one of the jurors uh who is only ever known as the juror um obviously as you go through the trial uh, the jury has a right to ask questions um, when I was foreman of the jury it was quite a self-explanatory trial we really didn't need to ask for anything we'd pretty much been given everything you needed to but in a complicated case like this you have the right to pass a note to uh uh, to the judge and then the judge will kind of bring in the the prosecution and the defense and will ask them the questions then they will make the decision whether the jury will be given this information so 26th of september so this is i think this is like two days into the trial or something uh yeah jurors sent the first note which asked eight questions uh the first four were related to aspects of the evidence which had been given and these were uncontroversial so actually uh, no, neither defense or prosecution had a problem with that but uh, there were problems with uh, questions five to eight. So the first one is, is diminishing responsibility morally right and conducive to protecting the general public and helping the defendant realise his crimes and giving the dependent the opportunity to come to terms with them, especially as in the case of the, de the defendant, he has been sentenced for crimes of a similar nature on numerous occasions 16 times according to the defendant i am questioning the application of diminished responsibility in cases such as this so this posed a problem because obviously uh the whole point of the jury is that they, they need to be impartial the judge has already said you need to keep an open mind but already that jury is saying i am questioning the application of diminished responsibility after just two to three days uh, this is a two and a half week trial question six uh, this is not the quiz, by the way, because I've just said question six, just in case anyone's getting freaked out. Um, how do you objectively measure one's responsibility? To what degree should the defendant's responsibility be diminished? Good question, but also, you know, um, it's a hard question to answer. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, there's more of these. So I'm, I'm going to plow through question seven. What is the degree? What is the definition of addiction amongst the scientific community? Uh, question eight. What is the objective diagnosis for discovering the presence of addiction in the human body? Uh, the judge allowed time for the council to consider this. At the start of the hearing on the following day, the 27th, Mr. Henry, for the defence, uh, applied to the judge to discharge the juror. He submitted that despite the judge's clear 
uh, directions that the jury should keep an open mind until they have made up all, uh, their mind on all of the evidence. The juror had already formed an adverse conclusion um, and by the terms of questions five had had uh, displayed bias. The juror had not yet heard the evidence of the appellant, which is Joe, and either the uh, and either psychiatrist, but was questioning the application of diminished responsibility in this case. Um, uh, the uh, juror was not dismissed at that point, and uh, the application uh, was rejected. Uh, what the judge did was quite rightly he turned around and he, he made it clear to the jury that they need to they need to make sure that they do keep an open mind in this case. Uh, throughout the jury retired at points. Uh, on the thirtieth, they retired not fully, but they were permitted to retire for a time uh, to go to a private room to read a bundle of medical records relating to Joe. Um, obviously, this is quite a complicated case, so. Um, that was quite rightly the right thing to do. Second uh, of October, uh, nearing the end of when Joe was given his evidence, that same juror uh, sent note B to the judge, which contained seven questions. Uh, the first was uncontroversial, but they were worried about the next six. Uh, question two. Uh, it is true to say that the defendant has never made uh, any sincere, willful attempt to cessate from drugs ever since taking the. Uh, sorry, is it true to say that the the defendant has never made any sincere, willful attempt to cessate from drugs since taking them in 1998? Uh, meaning, has he ever really, really consciously tried to quit drugs? Question three: Does the defendant uh, feel a better person when he is taking drugs? Uh, they're objecting to this. Um, there's a partial objection to this because it's like it's 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 the juror saying, well, he's clearly enjoying when he's being on drugs. So surely that is a, a logical uh, decision. Uh, but this goes against the idea of you know, is he addicted to his drugs? Question four. Why did the defendant need a knife when he confronted the second victim? I find that a baffling question. Uh, we kind of know he was robbing the guy fucking idiot question five uh, knowing the possible side effects and potential consequences of taking drugs at the time uh, the defendant started taking them and that he would still choose to take them despite the risks risks uh, because of uh, because they are enjoyable does he not think his behavior to be wholly irresponsible and demonstrable um, willful self-stupefaction this this juror is going to bug up his ass um he's all so uh, th this again was another problem because it's clear that the juror had already kind of made the decision that joe is enjoying drugs you know less of it is about addiction more of it is about his willingness to do this it's not really as he's not really asking an open question he's putting across his his uh, own decision it could be a, it could be a she i don't know question six is this not a demonstration of the defendant taking control and dictating his own life Question seven, is the defendant not using addiction as an excuse in order to relinquish full responsibility of his crimes? Good question, but again, not a question for a member of the jury. Uh, that is really a question for the prosecution to answer, uh, not really those. Um, so there was a bit of a big old conflab about this between the, the prosecution and the defence and the judge trying to work out whether it was kind of because don't forget you can't just say you can't just turn around to a juror and say okay you're out you're out because 
if you do that you've got to restart the whole trial uh which doesn't just mean uh going into the street and going can I have some jurors come on in you literally you it's it's a big old process uh it's also the prosecution and the defense have to restart everything and then they, they, quite often they they will rethink what they're going to put forwards as well which sometimes can be a good thing for prosecution and, uh, for uh, prosecution and defense but sometimes it can be a really bad thing as well um uh interestingly when the jury returned with their verdicts it was that same juror who acted as the foreman uh, we don't know anything about the juror slash foreman uh as mentioned uh the jury del- deliberated for three and a half hours and they found him guilty of the charges which was uh uh murder of Mohammed elney and our uh, gbh with intent which is a lower charge than our uh, manslaughter uh, he was convicted of both counts and sentenced to life with a minimum uh, 30 degree term uh, eligible for parole November technically November 2nd 2049 um, as far as we know oh is that a question I think it is I'm not going to say that one good well done Michael you've uh, you've almost got away with not answering a question good I could be a politician uh so let's do the quiz questions and then i can have a little wee wee mm, lovely um question number one what was joe's middle name it was derek Derek. every time i think of derek i always think of bad taste very good peter jackson film one of his early ones possibly his first oh well not his first one but one of his early ones uh who did lord of the rings but this is where he came from uh, question number two. That's not that's not a quiz question. Question number two. What London borough was Joe born in? He was born in Lambeth. You got to say it that way. Lambeth. There's no th. You got to be a f at the end. Question three. What colour jumper was Joe wearing? It was cream coloured. Question four. What? <coughs> oh dear. Question four. What is above the coach and horses? There is a vegan restaurant, which, of course, Amy Amy is a fan of because there they serve acorns and twigs, which is the daily staple of all vegans. That's a joke, people. Don't don't give me one star. You wrote the vegans like acorns and twigs. One star review. I would give a zero star review, but iTunes doesn't let me. I love when people write that. It makes me laugh. Uh, Question five. What street did the second attack take place on? It was University Street, uh, which is just past Googe Street on the way to Warren Street. Uh, and it's near the scene of the Charlotte Street robbery, just over uh, where the two men's coats were found, uh, where they'd stashed them. Uh, question six. How is Norman, the formidable uh, former pub landlord of the Coach and Horses, described? He's described as one of the one of London's rudest landlords. And there are many, trust me. Uh, Question seven. Which book was supposedly conceived and partly written at the Coach and Horses? It was The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And interestingly, there's quite a... uh, 
uh, a, a, a wealth of books that were written and conceived in the area. Originally, I was going to do a tour years ago about, about authors and their inspirations, because you've got uh, Bram Stoker, who worked as a theatre assistant uh, over at Covent Garden, and that's where we met a Hungarian man who kind of gave him the original idea for Dracula. Uh, you've got Mary Shelley living not too far away over in King's Cross, uh, Soho was also the inspiration for the picture of Dorian, Bray, Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Um, and it is said the kind of the debauchery was kind of uh, based on the idea of kind of Soho and uh, whatever pub was originally at the Coach and Horses. Uh, also, there's a pub over in Fitzrovia. Uh, I think it's the Marquis of Granbury, which was the inspiration for Anthony Burgess to write A Clockwork Orange. Ooh. Um, question eight. What did Mohammed Elmi train as? Elmi, El Elmi. What did Mohammed Elmi train as? A plumber. Uh, question nine: What prison is Joe in? See, oh, I was right. What prison is Joe in? Uh, that's HMP Whitemore. Uh, although he may have moved, as many prisoners do. Uh, question ten: What theatre does the murder back onto? Uh, it is the Palace Theatre on Cambridge Circus, which was a regular hang hangout for uh, a Dutch Lair. And it's currently home of the Harry Potter play. Ooh, exciting. Harry Potter. Good. That's uh, that's that episode of Murder Mile. That was a bloody long record, Michael. That's going to be a pain in the ass to edit. Oh, shit. I've, got, uh, I've just made the page too small. Now it's got some... Uh, there we go. Good. Done. Right. Uh, that's me done. Hope you enjoyed that. Sorry, I'm just trying to... Uh, there we go. Done. going to start editing this now and hopefully be done by Friday. And I can go out with some chums and have some drinkies and maybe some pizza and stuff. Even though I'm on a no-wheat diet, but that will be my treat for the week. Good. Have yourself a good week, people. Stay safe. Be good. Uh, lots of love. Be good. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.